I confess that the best birthday I have ever had was spent making love on the roof of Old Navy. <laughs> All night long. All night long. <laughs> that could be a commercial. This podcast is intended for those 18 and over. If that's not you, please check out scarletine.com and come back to this podcast when you are of age. Thank you for listening to the Bedpost Confessions podcast. Bedpost Confessions is a monthly reading and performance series based in Austin, Texas. Smart, sexy stories. Between performers, we ask the audience to anonymously submit their own experiences worthy of confession, which are then read aloud by our producers. The performance you're about to hear was recorded on June 20th, 2013, performed by Austin-based novelist and playwright Mo Davio. Here is Mo reading her story, Cure His Heart. So I've been involved with Bedpost Confessions pretty much since the beginning. And for a long time, I wished that something sexy would happen to me so I could come and tell you all about it. <laughs> uh, be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. This is called, this is called Cure His Heart. Nicholas and I began with lies. Who doesn't lie on an online dating profile? I hadn't intended to be an online dating liar. I was merely tracking the OKC movements of a writer in Boston that I had a small writerly crush on, waiting to screw up my courage to contact him and tell him I was interested. I'd stripped my profile of all information except for one line, the line of a poem by Adrian Rich. I'd listed my location as Cambridge, Massachusetts, 800 miles away from my apartment in Ann Arbor, Michigan. where I lived alone, even though I was married to a man I hadn't lived with in years. And frankly, I was irritated by these OKC idiots who were desperate and clueless enough to respond to a profile that said nothing more than diving into the wreck. I I almost didn't write back to this clueless dipshit, obviously desperate for some attention from any female he could get to talk to him. But for some reason, I chose to respond to this person with a link to the poem, Diving Into the Wreck. And he wrote back and said that he'd been at St. Peter's the night that Ann Waldman had recorded the audio link on the link that I'd sent, that particular house of literary worship he'd written, appealing to my very smart, very verbal sensibility. And I confessed to this stranger that I had lied, that I wasn't in Boston, and I felt horrible about the lies, but then he wrote that, quote, lies make the internet dating world go around. (laughs) Truthfully, though, I kept writing to him because he sounded smart and because his profile said he was looking for a woman who was dominant in the bedroom. And he kept writing to me because in my quiz answers, I had confessed that I was interested in the BDSM practice of verbal humiliation. He told me his secrets, and I told him mine. Without lies, Nicholas and I never would have found each other. Lies are easy. Lies are pretty. Truth is hard. Truth is ugly. But they say truth is beauty, and beauty is truth. As a fiction writer, I spin pages and pages of lies that are meant to lead the reader to some form of truth. I value the truth. I eroticize the truth. Nicholas and I had a 99% match. (laughs) My truth was this. I was married unhappily. My marriage was long distance, longer than I'd intended to be married long distance, and it had never been sexually satisfying, at least on my end. I wanted sex to be endless adventure and connection and physical exploration, but I'd married that rarest of men, the one who didn't care much for sex, failed to find in it obsession or pleasure. He was a dear man and wanted to be a good husband, though, and would occasionally oblige me. Oblige comes from the word obligation, though, and sex and obligation make a depressing combination. (laughs) 
I knew my husband loved me, but he didn't want me. Over time, my my pleasure became his chore, and I felt the difference between wanton and longing and perfunctory performance in the service of expectation. His rejection of my advances grew more frequent and then more vehement, until finally I learned to stop asking. Two years after I'd left our home together to go to graduate school on my own, I told my husband over the phone that I had a profile on OkCupid and was looking for sex outside the marriage, which he approved of, but only as a concession so I wouldn't leave. Nicholas and I wrote to each other about sex, about what we wanted, slowly at first and then frequently and passionately. In a series of emails written over the course of only a few days, we set about imagining our first domination submission scene, what he wanted me to do to him and what I wanted him, well, what I wanted to do to him and what he wanted me to do to him. Bleh. What we both found sexy put forth in words, plainly and without shame. As we planned it, our scene would go down like this. I would sidle up to him with all six feet of my height and throw him down, sit on his face, slap him and call him my little bitch, make him eat me out front and back, smack him, spank him, call him him a filthy slut, fuck him in the ass with a strap on, transform him with my firmness into the decisive and masculine man I knew he could be with the right amount of discipline. In return, he would make me come until I was sore. He told me over the phone that he would jerk off with thoughts of me in his head and say my name out loud when he came. I would be his dear mistress, and like the famous Velvet Underground lyric, I would cure his heart. But truly, Nicholas was curing mine. After years in a sexually desolate marriage, his personal, erotic, confessional brand of sexual attention tore through me and opened me like a fragile flower. In a few short days, he'd shown me everything my marriage lacked, everything I knew in my bones it would never have. I read his emails, and I felt desired and feminine, powerful and horny as hell. I reread his letters over and over with my Hitachi magic wand purring against my crotch. And imagine myself slapping him, holding him, grabbing his hair, fucking him, possessing him. Everything I wanted. Exotic sex, mostly. But mostly with sex with a, sex with a man who would never, ever, ever, ever tell me no. <laughs> Even if he and I never met up to do these things to each other, I had decided that this boy had been placed in my life for a reason. He was, at bare minimum, a strange angel, forcing me to see the truth. I wanted to be a dom. And it was time to leave my husband. Nicholas dumped me the day before Valentine's Day. We'd be, we'd be on Skyping and talking on the phone and found that we shared a great connection that went beyond our matching desires for kinky sex. We could also be peers that talked about music and literature and current events. He was someone I could see dating with or without the dom stuff. And so I was sad and confused when the following message arrived the morning after one of our sexy little chats. I think you're pretty swell. Actually, I think you're great. We seem to have a nice connection. Because of that, I feel a little overwhelmed about us. I had no intention of meeting someone who I thought was compelling outside my narrow hunt for slightly exotic sex. Oddly, I did. I don't think it would be responsible of me emotionally to continue. You live a thousand miles away, and I don't think in the long run it would, I would not be able to feel attached in some way. The thing of it is, is I don't think it would work for me to have a long-distance romantic entanglement. I thought he was being a big baby, running from his feelings like an irrational, overthinking coward. But I love that he felt that way, even though we'd never met face to face. But he meant it. He deleted his OkCupid profile shortly after and did not respond to my email asking him to reconsider. You gotta be careful with submissive friend, my best friend Julie told me after I explained the situation to her. (laughs) Julie, that Julie. Holla. 
Men who buck the narrative of male power. There's a lot of shame in that, Julie explained. Perhaps it got too real for him. He could finally show his true sexual self to an attractive woman who found it hot and affirmed him rather than freaked out. It might have been a difficult emotional place for him, and he couldn't risk a face-to-face rejection. But I adored him, I explained, hoping she'd give me some tidbit of information that would help me win him back. I respected him for his desire to submit. He's such a fucking baby! (laughs) Yes. Or maybe he has a girlfriend he's hiding, Julie offered. A few days after Valentine's Day, I was back on OkCupid half-heartedly looking for a new submissive boy to get my mind off Nicholas. <laughs> I typed in the keyword dominant in a series of photos of naked torsos would appear, all of them headless and belonging to self-proclaimed dominant men looking for submissive women. And then I found what I knew was Nicholas's new profile. 27, Boston, looking for someone dominant in the bedroom, someone with the same career and hobbies as he had. Listed as single, but with the following disclaimer. I'm seeing someone. Actually, we're engaged. Doing this openly and honestly. I immediately called Julie with a code blue. That little shit, she said. Confront him. I sent him an email telling him what I'd found. He deleted that account less than one minute after I hit send on that email. Minutes later, he wrote back and said he was sorry for lying to me. But yes, he was engaged. That He was sorry. He was an asshole. He fucked up. I told him not to marry someone who didn't share his kink and that he'd hurt me and fuck him. He apologized again and again and again like a little fucking baby bitch. I wanted to slap him, but for real. Oh, Nicholas said it himself. Lies make the internet dating world go round. A thorough audit of all our emails and chats showed that he was engaging in the fantasy of being single. He lied to me straight up about being single, and it took me about one minute on Facebook to find out that there really was a fiancé. He and I decided, he had even discussed what might happen if our relationship went beyond our planned weekend of face-sitting and humiliation. He sent me articles about female-led relationship models that he found attractive. He told me that he was, quote, not interested in being anything but an equitable lover, friend, partner, whatever, etc. And if it does go past our weekend, I would want our relationship to be equitable and supportive. I didn't know if he was really seeking sex outside his relationship with the consent of his lady friend, and I had no reason to believe anything he said anymore. And in a lot of ways, that particular truth didn't matter. He'd led me on in the worst possible way. But the more I sat with the truth, the more I began to wonder. He left a trail, after all. A large, strange, dirty online trail with messages sent from his work email. (laughs) He crossed a line that a person in an open relationship wouldn't have crossed. He was being sloppy, like a man that wanted to get caught. Getting caught is a coward's way out of a relationship, and he was definitely being a coward. Don't marry someone who doesn't share your kink, unless maybe your kink is dishonesty, or... Marry someone who doesn't share your kink because you'd rather keep your kink on the side. Marry the pure Madonna, but find the perfect whore to sit on your face. (laughs) Like a good dom, I'd become a figure to be feared. A month later, Nicholas freaked out to hear from me again. Even though I said in the email that I came to him in peace. I asked him to meet me for coffee the following week when I would be in Boston for a conference. And he said, sure, but he had doubts. He asked a million questions, all designed to assuage his fear. He knew that he'd wronged me and been a big liar, so what did I want with him? I wanted to look into his eyes, mostly, because I'd developed feelings for him. These feelings were probably nothing more than a toxic mixture of loneliness and misdirected adoration for the first man who'd paid me sexual attention in a decade and actually seemed to mean it. 
But they were feelings, and they felt a lot better than feeling my impending divorce. I wanted to be a phoenix, and I had chosen Nicholas to be my ash. I thought that in person I could ascertain whether or not he really meant it when he told me I was sexy. I wanted to verify he really did jerk off to me, his cock engorged with thoughts of me as he sat at his desk at work. (laughs) I wanted all that to be real. And I didn't want to believe that I'd been emotionally scammed by someone, that there was a kernel of truth to what he had told me. I decided to take pity on him, acknowledge how big a role shame might take, have been playing, had, might have played in his actions. He apologized profusely, assured me he cut and ran because he really did have feelings for me, and told me he thought I was swell. I explained I just wanted some closure. But really, I wanted to slap him and force his head between my legs. <laughs> I flew to Boston, fully intending to dom my way back in. Nicholas appeared before me at a coffee shop on Newberry Street wearing a gray cardigan, a detail I took as a good sign, since we had discussed cardigans at length. I find men in cardigans astonishingly sexy. And he assured me that he owned at least seven. I, too, wore a gray cardigan. It was a damp, snowy day, and he appeared before me with melting snow in his hair and on his glasses. Sorry I'm all wet, he said. Aren't we all? Oh, the great tragedy of Nicholas is that he and I click so well. There are no shortage of interested men presenting themselves to me on online dating sites, some of whom say they want me to dominate them. But most of the time, the lack of intellectual connection makes the propositions feel unwanted and icky. Nicholas is one of those guys I could talk to ad nauseum about whatever. He'd be a friend if we'd met under different circumstances. And so we chatted like friends over coffee not far from the school where Nicholas teaches, cautiously and flirtatiously. I told him I'd come to look into his eyes, and he and I each took off our glasses and pressed our noses together. I didn't know what I was looking for in requesting that gesture. There were no messages hidden there, nothing revelatory, just the blue meat of his irises, the eyes of any ordinary man. The offer's on the table, I said. I can't, he said. I I can't. Okay, I said. Except moments later, he changed his mind, and he and I were on our way to my hotel room. I slapped his face. I ground my lips into his. I called him a dirty fucking slut pussy coward cunt. I called him my dirty fucking pussy slut coward cunt. I told him I liked him so much. I slapped him harder. I slapped him lighter. I realized that I don't go around slapping people, so I don't know how hard I slap. It was slap trial by fire. (laughs) I ordered him to take off his clothes. I threw him on the bed and smacked his ass. I told him his only job was to pleasure me. He relented. I forced him on his knees and grabbed his head and forced it between my legs. And then he freaked out and stopped and said he couldn't do it anymore. He looked dazed and scared. I hugged his little naked body and patted his head. (laughs) He put on his clothes and left, apologizing, apologizing, apologizing. And before he left, he grabbed me and gave me a kiss. And then he was gone. There's a line in the aforementioned poem, Diving into the Wreck. The thing I came for, the wreck and not the story of the wreck. The thing itself and not the myth. I had to see Nicholas for the thing itself and not the myth, which, when Adrian Rich says it, is an admirable endeavor this hunt for truth, this naming of the truth as the spoils of a great solo journey is what making diving, what makes diving into the wreck a great poem. But this hunt for the truth didn't seem so admirable. 
yes, there was this thing itself. There was a guy named Nicholas who led me on, who I clicked with, who lied to me, claimed to want me to fuck him and humiliate him and have a loving female authority relationship with me, maybe. But really, he was going to marry another woman. And because in addition to being a dom, I'm kind of a masochist, I went and found his wedding photos on Facebook last week. And I can confirm that he really did get married. His new wife may or may not have known that he was having dirty chats and making promises that he had no intention of keeping with a woman in another city. I don't know. The thing itself wasn't the thing itself that made me so maddeningly happy, so alive and charged in the body I'd almost forgotten. The thing itself wasn't Nicholas. There was no thing itself. Just the shock and shame at how the smallest bit of sexual attention from a stranger undid me. Lately, I've come to see kink as a sort of theater, a space created between two or more people when the borders of sexuality are expanded to destigmatize acts that are considered shameful, painful, strange. <sighs> I don't really want to slap men and call them my little slut pushy, pussy bitches, except I do. <laughs> because for so long my sexual self heard the word no and only the word no, that a groveling, desperate yes is so far from my experience that hearing it takes me to that small, potent little place of healing. But above all, it has to be honest. Sex has to be honest. Relationships have to be honest. If we're going to hurt our lovers, it should be with the consensual slap of a hand or the crack of the whip, not with the lies that truly tear us asunder. Thank you. Mo Davio is a novelist, playwright, and solo performer. She recently earned her MFA in fiction writing from the University of Michigan and is very happy to be back in Texas. Bedpost Confessions is produced by me, Sadie Smythe of That'sWhatSadieSaid.com, Mia Martina of MiaOnTop.com and the I Want Your Sex podcast, and Julie Gillis of JulieGillis.com. Podcast audio production by Ian Danskin, AnyWindowStudios.com. You can find more information about Bedpost Confessions and links to all of our websites and upcoming shows at bedpostconfessions.com. You can also confess with us at Bedpost Confessions on Facebook and Bedpost Confess on Twitter. Until next time, we leave you with a few more confessions from our audience. I confess when I was 19, I sent a photo to Hustler and they published it. The fantasy was to do it on a motorcycle. The apartment manager where I lived saw it and put a toy motorcycle in my mail. <laughs> 30 years later, I'm still waiting to fulfill the fantasy. Aww. I confess, I've always wanted someone in a Gumby costume. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that, Sadie. To take advantage of me sexually. It's a perfectly acceptable fantasy. Yes, it is. It scares me, but I go for it. I confess a friend and I are being paid $10,000. Let's just think about that for a second. (laughs) To pee in a doctor's mouth. He has a fetish for it, and we are broke bitches, so... Would you please... (laughs) Would you please see me after the show? I, I pee all the time. <laughs> so, I mean...